So we're talking about the grace of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and, he, and he, he's got some information that he needs to share with the church of Corinth. The churches in Macedonia had experienced great poverty. They were in a severe test of affliction and they decided they, they have this recipe of affliction and poverty and joy and it produced giving. And Paul's like, you might have heard about their, their tests of affliction. You might have heard the rumors about all the bad stuff because that's the stuff we like to talk about, right? We talk about the bad stuff. That's what our news is full of is the bad stuff. Paul's like, I want to tell you about this gem, this grace, this special, remarkable, unique thing that's happening among the people in Macedonia. And he leads off chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Timothy that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This is God's word to us. Father, we love you and thank you for your word. Help us to understand the grace that you've poured out and what's possible as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about a revelation of grace, a recipe for grace, reflections of grace, and then a responsibility to grace all very quickly. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given to you, that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He says, let me tell you about the grace of God. The grace of God does amazing things. The grace of God heals. The grace of God restores. The grace of God brings repentance. The grace of God brings conversion. The grace of God brings life. The grace of God brings hope. The grace of God brings joy. And Paul's saying, I want to tell you about this distinct grace of God that is on this people in Macedonia. You've heard about their affliction. You've heard the bad news, but I want to tell you about something that God is doing among them that I also want to see God do among you. Have you ever had uh, a phone or, or like a, a technology piece or a tool that did something and you didn't realize it did it? And then when you realized that it did a certain thing, you were like, what? <laughs> like my phone, my iPhone, I can Bluetooth share photos. I didn't know that, like, I mean, I knew that it existed, but I didn't know that it existed. Right. And so it's like, man, I was with these guys and I was like, we had no Wi-Fi and no data and, you know, or no, you know, we were in Africa and it was like, we're stuck. We can't share these photos with you. What are we going to do? And this guy was like, well, we could share via Bluetooth. And I was like, no way. And he's like, yes way. And he's like, just do this. And he flipped through these menus and he turned on this thing. And I was like, this is amazing. Where has this been all my life? Well, for the first part of my life, it didn't exist, but, but where has been all my phone life? And, the reality is it's been on my phone and it's been that my phone was built for that. My phone could do it. My phone was ready for it. I just didn't realize that the grace was there to do it. Yeah. 
And so it is with our Christian lives. Sometimes we don't even understand that there's a grace of God for that. You know, is there an app for that kind of attitude? Remember back when apps were new and we were all like, whoa, these apps. And it was, you're like, what's an app? It's an application. It's short. You shorten it so we can be down with the lingo because we've got app stores and app parties. So this app, right? And so there's an app for that was the thing. And it's like, can I cook breakfast by myself? There's an app for that. And so like, does the grace of God heal my marriage? Yes, there's a grace for that. Does the grace of God bring healing to my body? Yes, there's a grace for that. Does the grace, is there, is there something to provoke and, and draw out generosity out of my soul? Yes, there's a grace for giving. And Paul's like, I want you to know that. And I want you to not even know about it, but I want you to experience it and be like, what? So let's talk about the recipe for grace. It's unexpected. It doesn't make sense. It's that recipe where you're like, you put what in this? And it tastes delicious. You ever had something and you're like, I wish I didn't know what was in it because now I'm having a hard time eating it. I'll go back to Africa. So we had crocodile kebabs. And everybody's like, these are delicious. And I'm like, yeah. And then they were like, it's crocodile. And, you know, people are like, oh. <laughs> like, this steak is awesome. It's ostrich steak. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> you know? And then you're Googling it. And you're like, what animal is this? And you're like, that's a springbok. And you're like, that's a Bambi. You know? And, and it's like an African Bambi. And you're like, but it's delicious, but it's confusing because you see the animal and you don't like to associate it. And you're like, that's in there, but it's delicious. So, but it's a recipe. It's the recipe that you don't expect to produce something amazing. The recipe that we don't expect here is that in a test of affliction, that's a, I'll talk about that in a second. They had abundance of joy plus extreme poverty and it provoked a grace for giving. So let's talk about the test of affliction first. How offensive is that sentence? In a severe test of affliction, in other words, in pain and struggle that God sovereignly allowed into their lives. They experienced these two other things, but let's talk about the things that God allows into our lives for just a second. Um, because, because these four words, in a severe test of affliction, that's more, uh, in those words, is, is this truth that we need to wrestle with and be uncomfortable with, but also love. Sometimes the challenges that we face are because we're in a fallen world and sin is running rampant and we're just getting, we're getting stray bullets from a lost and dying world. Sometimes it's decisions that we've made and we're just reaping the consequences of what we've said or done. And even though we got, even though we're now right, maybe you've gotten right with Jesus and you're like, maybe that would have cut it off, but no, there's still some consequences that are coming after you. Sometimes I'll get a call and it'll be like, hey pastor, I'm going to court because I did some stuff. Maybe we could accept Jesus and then I won't have to go to jail. And I'm like, we can accept Jesus and he'll change your jail time. He might not make it shorter, but your time there will be different. That's what I mean by change your jail time. We're going to believe God for a miracle. We're going to believe God for favor with the court system, but you did rob a store. And so there are consequences. So sometimes it's just consequences, stuff we did. Sometimes it's because God introduces something to test us and he allows something to happen. Job, one of the most, one of the most painful books in the Bible to look at. The, the devil comes to God and God's like, Go ahead, just don't, don't kill him. Go ahead and take him on, just don't, just, just don't kill him. What's interesting about the book of Job, it was the first book written. 
Historically, he was, Job lived around the same time as Abraham and the other patriarchs, but it was the first book written. So even before the, the, the book of Genesis was penned, before the, the question, I, I believe this is why. I think that it's before the question of how we came to be was really wrestled with. The question of why is life hard was wrestled with. And God's like, I'm going to deal with this question about why is life hard. And then, and then it's kind of like once you realize, wow, there's an all, there's a sovereign, all powerful, all loving, gracious God who, who, who desires to care for us and protect us and has a destiny and a purpose for us. Now it's like, okay, so let's, let's understand why we're here. My pain makes some sense. Can you make some sense of that tree for me, please? Without discernment, it will be impossible to know the difference between whether God has failed you or if God is loving you. Because oftentimes the discipline and the love of God initially feels like a failing. Because your plan was failed. I know the times that, that I feel like I, I, I run to the end of myself or, or like I'll get stuck or experience some of the darkest times of my life. It's like, where, where, God, what, did you fail me? And he's in, in other people in those times come along and they're like, this is the love of God for you. Even if it doesn't feel like it right now. And I, I can't really go into details there. If that, if this thought offends you or if it's painful to you for me to even say it, just come tell me in the hallway. I'll be there. We can shake hands and we could, we could talk on the phone and I can further break this out. But we've, we've spent time on it in previous sermons and, uh, and it's worth conversation if it's offensive to you. If you're like, yeah, that makes sense and I accept it. Great. Accept it. But, uh, recognize that what you're accepting is a difficult thing to swallow. So in this test of affliction, They had an abundance of joy and extreme poverty. I believe that their abundance of joy came from taking stock of knowing that they had eternal security, eternal assurance that God was going to love them and that he was going to, he was going to preserve them from ultimate death and they were going to be with him always and forever. And it produced joy knowing that God loved them, knowing that God had died in their place. God had redeemed them, produced joy and excitement and hope in them. And the other ingredient of poverty, the Bible describes it as extreme poverty. I want to highlight poverty for just a second. Um, one in f- I'm going to kind of work my way towards poverty. One in five kids in our area, in Loudoun County, Struggles from food insecurity. That means that they don't know where the next meal is coming from. Mom and dad may or may not have dinner on the table. They may skip a lunch. Now, the kid might not understand why they didn't have lunch or why they didn't have dinner. But but one in five, that's 20% in one of the richest nations or one of the richest counties in our nation. Regularly in the top three, that one in five, that's 20% of children has food insecurity is baffling to me. But we haven't yet entered into poverty. I saw Shantytown in, in South Africa, and we were talking to our tour guide about this. In this township that I would have described as slums, he, because of the poor sanitation, houses built on top of each other, made out of wood scraps and, and tin. Um, I was like, wow, this, this is poverty. This is hard for me to see. 
And he said, the people who live here don't see this as poverty. They see this as they, they've moved here to get away from poverty. They feel blessed in this situation. Because at least here there's an opportunity for opportunity. These are people who came from poverty. And I looked at it and I thought it was poverty. Extreme poverty, something that we're rarely exposed to and we intentionally don't uh, identify with or intentionally don't expose ourselves to because it's, it's unnerving. It breaks our heart. It confuses us. It makes us feel guilty. And so we, uh, so we uh, avoid it. It doesn't mean no air conditioning. It doesn't mean food insecurity. It means probably eating garbage. Not knowing if you're going to make it tomorrow. That's where the people were. So when we think about poverty, it's not like they had a hot day and their, their, the air conditioning in their car broke and it was 110 for a 15-minute drive. But having nothing of natural consequence. I think it's interesting that this was the recipe for the abundant generosity and grace. Paul doesn't actually speak to the quantity of their giving. He speaks to the quality of their giving. He calls it a wealth of generosity, but doesn't give a number. And it reminds me of the widow's mites that Keith referred to earlier today. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to give to live on. One woman giving out of her poverty her two mites, her two copper coins, caught the attention of Jesus. A whole church in Macedonia giving out of their extreme poverty caught the attention of Paul. It caught the attention of the church. I'm certain it caught the attention of Jesus because he continued to pour out abundant grace on this church in Macedonia. In both cases, the widow in Luke 21 and the churches of Macedonia, they reflected on the grace of God in their life. They considered his grace, the gift of salvation, their assurance of hope. What was put down on the promise. See, Jesus didn't just promise eternal life, but he put himself down as the, as the what's it called? The thing that you give as a proof of your contract? Not a down payment. Deposit. Collateral is the word I was thinking. Thank you. So as collateral, he gave his own life. He's like, I'm going to guarantee it 
by destroying the thing that would destroy you. And then I'm going to raise from the dead just to prove that I was worthy to do the first thing. I could say I I would die for you, but I'm going to stay dead. You'd be like, well, I hope it worked. (laughs) Right? You'd live the rest of your life hoping that I, he said he was going to die for me and forgive my sins and he died in my place. I I hope it worked. I I don't know. He He definitely died. his body's over there. We built a memorial. He died for us. I just hope he wasn't deceived. And put his body down as collateral and he rose from the dead to prove that he could do the first. And they trusted that God would do the same for them. And so as a result of this reflection of the grace of God, they, they went in and they assessed their ability to give. They weren't ignorant. Like the people in the Bible aren't dumber than us. I think sometimes we read about ancient peoples and we were like, well, they were just banging rocks and, you know, happy with sparks. You know, like they weren't dumb. They were us. They just didn't have iPhones and Androids. There we go. See, okay. Let my technology offend you. But they assessed their ability to give. And then they assessed their ability of God to do more. They assessed their ability of God to be faithful, to do what to them was impossible. They assessed their willingness to give. And they found themselves to be more than willing to give. They begged for the opportunity to give. I saw this happen one time. I was with Pastor Brett. He spoke at a campus ministry uh, down in Harrisonburg. And we, we took these, this college leadership team out to eat. And they were like, we'll buy. And Pastor Brett's like, no, you won't. And they were like, we want to buy. And, and he's like, how do you have, like, where did you get the money? You know, you're college students. <laughs> Why do you have any money? And so we found out that these students were selling their plasma at the local blood bank to raise their operating budget for the campus ministry. These kids were selling their blood and then they were like cleaning their friends' bathrooms. Like they, they, the cleaning their friends' dorm rooms for cash to raise money for the campus ministry. And this is, I mean, they wanted to use blood money to buy Pastor Brett dinner. Right? Like literally they gave their blood and they were like, please. And he's like, you don't even know what money is. <laughs> use that on something else. We're buying. But I saw people who had very little, you know, again, compared to poverty, wealthy beyond all belief. Compared to a Northern Virginia salary, giving your blood to, to buy somebody dinner. That's pretty, that's pretty gangster. I was like, y'all are, y'all are pretty amazing. I'm, I'm really impressed and I feel a little insecure that the church is giving me a budget. (laughs) There's no blood bank in our area that would do that. Just so you know, I checked. (laughs) Because I was like, oh, you know, I go once a month. Christmas will be pretty, pretty, you know, pretty. Yeah, you know. (laughs) <laughs> buy my wife something nice. Where'd you get this money? Don't ask. <laughs> so they, they, assess their, they assess their willingness to give. <laughs> I'm so random. They assess their willingness to give. And they were like, no, we are willing to give. We want to give. Give us the opportunity to give. Please, I beg of you. And I'm, sure the, I'm sure Paul was like, I, I feel weird about taking this money. But it is evident of the grace of God on your life. 
It is the grace of God moving through you. And I can't deny it because he's continuing to provide for you and the joy on your life and the hope in your life. And I'm encouraged and I'm inspired by your giving. This is obviously the grace of God. They had a responsibility to grace this church in Macedonia. They're like, God has given to us, we should give. They had nothing to lose. Maybe our problem today is we feel like we've got too much to lose. So we hold on to other things before we hold on to God. It deepened their devotion to Jesus. It it inspired them to give. And and their giving surpassed everybody's expectations. Because nobody expected that. I want to close by simply reading this verse that Paul closes with. He doesn't close with, but verse 7. He says, as church in Corinth, as you excel in everything, as you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and even our love for you, church in Corinth, see that you excel in this act of grace also, that you would give, that you would be generous, that you would count the riches of the kingdom to be greater than any riches in the earth, that you would beg for the opportunity to provide for the needs of the saints. That you would allow the grace of God to provoke something in you, to awaken a new function that was there all along and to agree with it and to allow it to operate through you. What I found in my life is that as I allow the grace of God to work through me in one way, other things tend to just happen. I'm believing God for this over here. The grace of God inspires me to do this over here. And this over here seems completely unrelated to what God is having me do, but he takes care of this on my behalf by another means entirely. As we're faithful to do as the word instructs us to give, to, to, to excel in this act of grace. As we do this, I think the watermark of faith will rise. We'll see that God is more, more able than we thought he was. He's more faithful than we expected him to be. And his plan is better than anything that we had planned in the first place.